This is Dan Eaton, and this is Crisis Management, Columbus Business First's podcast about running a business in the coronavirus pandemic. Ron Jordan is a rarity these days. His hand-quarter restaurant in Dublin's Bridge Park is doing more business this summer than it did last summer, despite the pandemic. He credits two factors. First, a new menu, and second, a surge in sales tied to the Black Lives Matter movement as consumers seek out Black-owned businesses to support. But is that sustainable? That's just one of several topics Jordan and I discuss, including his deep restaurant roots, the challenges to striking out on his own, and the importance of being able to roll up your sleeves and do what needs to be done, even if that means cleaning the bathrooms yourself. Thanks for listening. Tell me about your background. What's your business background? How did you get to this point with Headquarter? I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My grandfather was an entrepreneur for about 50 years. Uh, my other grandfather on my mother's side, same thing. He was an entrepreneur for a very long time in the construction business, construction residential contracting business on the one side, the other side, um, in the nightclub bar business. So mm-hmm. it was, it's really in, in the vein of, of the family overall. But um, as I grew up and I spent a lot of time around my grandfather, uh, he also built a Popeye's in 1996. We opened in 97, spring of mm-hmm. 97. So I kind of grew up in the restaurant business. And at the time, I was nine years old when we were open, March 4th of uh, 97. Um, so I, I, I worked during the training hours and didn't violate any child labor laws by any stretch, right? <laughs> but I definitely was in there every chance I got. And it, I wasn't a kid you had to force to be in there. I wanted to be in there. That's where I wanted to be. I had a good time being around my grandfather. I had a good time being around you know, my grandma. My mom worked there. Um, my cousin Cherie, who is also our creative director, her mother spent every waking moment of every day there for 23 years. So, well, I guess 21, technically. Last two, she kind of had a, a little more off time. So, yeah, I grew up in the business. I played football. In, in high school and in college, I got my degree in corporate communications from Eastern Illinois University. And I said to myself, I want to do something on my own, kind of figure my own thing out. I didn't want to go right into the family business. Uh, and I did that. You know, I was in uh, banking for a couple of years. And then uh, six years, I was in uh, medical device related sales. First, it was technology for two with Cardinal Health. The last four was with GE Healthcare and a few other subsidiaries that we got bought out to become uh, where I was doing anesthesia related sales. So, you know, I always had the entrepreneurial mindset and everything that I've done. Uh, It's what's made me successful in in all of my sales jobs and corporate jobs I've had before. And I got to a point where I was just tired of, I mean, I was making good money, but tired of making everybody else great money. I wanted to do it for myself. And I kind of got bit by the bug in 2015. At that time, I've always been involved with the family business in a consultative manner. Mm-hmm. But here, it was our opportunity for expansion into a second location. So what I decided to do was, you know, go in there and, and help my dad with the construction portion of everything. The difference was when I helped him with it, uh, I kind of became the on-site foreman. And yeah. next thing you know, I spent every day at the site. And as I'm there at the site, I started to just really love the process and really, really love the construction portion, the building portion of what we do. I mean, I think... Uh, as people in general, we love to, to build and create and stand back and go, man, this is something that we were able to take care of. And, and from there, you know, we love to, uh, to grow and, and do what we can. So I got bit by that bug in 2015. After I got to that point, we opened that second unit of Popeye's January 2016. 
we then get we're given an opportunity for two more locations that we uh, purchased went after those in an acquisition model and I had a great time doing that that was very fun mergers and acquisitions it's fun but it's challenging I should yeah. say you know it's it's got its own realm of of what you like and what you don't and then after that we then um, built one more unit for Popeyes and in 2017 for me it was that was a great year too we opened our um, that was my first true ground up because mm -hmm. the 2015 unit was a conversion 2017 was the first ground up. We made a lot of mistakes. I mean, a ton, ton of overruns, but um, it taught me a ton about the business. So it's what led me to our sixth unit at the time, that mm -hmm. and um, uh, the other Michigan unit that we bought. And then we leveraged what we were doing there into what we're doing now at Hencorder. And yeah. I was able to build this. This is a funny story. Um, I, I met Warren Thompson uh, by happenstance, who is now actually one of my best friends and mentor. Mm -hmm. So Thompson Hospitality is the largest minority-owned contract food service company in the world, which I think I mentioned to you before. You know, I met him, uh, one of his VPs at an international sales conference for Popeyes. And by meeting him, he brought me in. We had, we were supposed to have a, what, a five-minute shake a hand and kind of walk away type of meeting. And it ended up being a lot more than that, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's flourished into this long-term relationship. You know, it, it put us in a position to where he trusts me to a degree and, and, and understanding what today's customer needs. And I trust him enormously in making the business work, right? One of the best business people I've ever met in my life. The man can put a deal together better than anybody I've ever seen. So uh, our, our, both, the, both of what we're great at, we kind of combined efforts on. And we talked about this concept, and, uh, which is actually their concept originally. Mm -hmm. And I, I took it and ran with it, created something totally different. And now they're essentially, we're working together to get their model uh, to, to become my model, what our model is here. Because uh, we've had a lot of success and people really enjoy what we've produced. So that's kind of the long and the short of it. I mean, mm -hmm. I did run his, uh, his retail units uh, for a little while. I was his vice president of retail mm -hmm. uh, for all of his brands. So I got some corporate experience running restaurants from the top at that point. Uh, but my experience really comes from, you know, uh, the days of starting to clean toilets as a teenager <laughs> you know, at Popeye's and working my way up the ladder and to what I'm doing now. So part of our model when we train is, you know, you're never too big to do anything. Mm -hmm. I actually had to physically clean the entire bathroom the other day. So it would have probably been shocking to most, but I'm still not afraid to, to get, roll my sleeves up and do what I have to do in order to uh, allow for us to succeed. You yeah. know what I mean? What appeals to you about restaurants? As, as you noted, you have a, a pretty diverse uh, background in terms of industry experiences. Started in restaurants and now come back to restaurants. What yeah. is it about that versus maybe some other industries that you thought this is your best opportunity? Honestly, you know, one, business is business, no matter yeah. what you're doing, right? I mean, every facet of what we're using right now, from your headphones to the shirt I've got on, the watch <laughs> I've got on, so one, I have a deeper understanding, I think, of business in general than most folks that are in my industry. Because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of folks come from a culinary background and then it transforms into business. Yeah. Uh, not to say that they're not crazy great businessmen or women, they are, but it just is a different model. I'm the, uh, the opposite approach. You know, I'm, I'm, I was business first and I just love to cook. So for me, you know, I look at, I look at uh, the restaurant industry or what I like to call the hospitality industry mm -hmm. as a place where it's where people create memories all the time. When you're happy, the first thing you do is go and celebrate with family and friends at a restaurant, you know, or over food at a home. You know, when you're sad, you celebrate with food, right? The funeral is full of food. If someone passes away, I mean, 
life is really centric around feeding people and bringing people together. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think we're, we're trying to be on the cutting edge of pioneering what is called the experiential dining experience. Mm -hmm. and, and it's all around everything. It's not just good food, good service, like I said before, it's around the experience I can give you in, in the restaurant. You know, if you're having the worst week of your life for that microcosm of time that you're here with me, did it all go away? Or if you're, you're having the best time in your life, did we take it to the next level and it was even better because of everything that all encompassed the experience that you had here at headquarters. So for me, that's what the restaurant business is, it does to attract me so much is it's just, it's a place where everybody goes and it's a place where everybody wants to be, you know? Nobody, nobody at all will ever tell you, man, I don't want to go to a restaurant and have a good time, listen to good music and eat good food. Like, it's just not going to be something somebody says. So for me, it's about the camaraderie and, and the spirit of people and community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're ambassadors in that world. So if we can bring people together all the time, it brings me a ton of joy and, and also, honestly, makes my job really, really easy. You talked about how uh, Hangquarter existed elsewhere. You brought mm -hmm. it here, uh, and then you made changes to that model. What are some yeah. of the, the changes that you've made that are now being adopted, uh, you know, broader with the brand? A ton, actually. Yeah. So uh, Warren was actually in conversation to buy a brand that was upscale Southern in uh, the Southeast. That brand, it, it, the deal didn't work out. So what they did was they figured out a way to create their own concept, their own mm -hmm. version of what it is, which is nothing new to the restaurant business. We all have some form of something, right? Absolutely. So the difference was, I think the folks that, that were in charge of creating that portion of that concept, I, I just think they were a little bit out of touch with what the millennial generation mm -hmm. was truly looking for. And again, the, the, the gentleman was, he was beyond that generation. So I can't, uh, I can't fault him for that, but that was where it came from. And what I've changed is everything. So even from the logo, if you look at ours versus theirs, they had like a fatter, mm -hmm. more old school Southern mama goose type of hen. <laughs> we wanted it to be a sleeker, cooler look. Mm -hmm. So we trimmed it down, gave, made, made the legs a little longer, which I'm a very big detail guy, you'll notice. So for mm -hmm. me, the slightest thing can make the difference. I wanted to make it a little cooler. I also wanted to make sure that all of our um, print was in a, an old, it wasn't old. It's, it's, it's more or less a classic cursive Southern style. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure we did that too. So we changed that part of it. And then from there, we changed everything else. So we've kept some staples. Now there are our own recipes, but they're, they're staples of what Hen Quarter does. And one of those staples is obviously the chicken and waffles, the fried mm -hmm. chicken. Those were two things we wanted to absolutely keep. They wanted to keep them level, wanted to not change anything. Everything else though, totally different. <laughs> we do have a shrimp and grits dish like they do. Recipe, totally different. Ours is more of the New Orleans style. Theirs is more of an up north style. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a much different model all the way across the board, but it's, we found success in becoming a restaurant also that is really, really heavy on seafood. You know, we mm -hmm. do seafood, I think, better than anybody in town. I, I would absolutely challenge anybody to, to put their best seafood dishes out against ours. And I think some of ours would, would definitely come out on top. Um, and that includes some of the fine dining folks that are out there doing it as well. So, you know, we, we wanted to focus on that because we wanted a space for folks to be able to come and, and have a good time and, and eat something different. That led us to also the music, right? Mm -hmm. For me, a lot of people don't pay much attention to music when they're in a restaurant. You know, it's just white noise, yeah. or, you know, that audible noise in the background. But for us, we wanted to make it the complete reason why mm -hmm. some people come and some people stay. My favorite era of music has always been 
well not era i guess it's more of genre has always been neo soul so mm -hmm. we wanted to give it a very big neo soul vibe and you know the funny thing about neo soul is that it crosses many lines that a lot of people do or don't know mm -hmm. But what I wanted to do is, is put it in Dublin because there's a lot of people in Dublin that just don't know it. And, <laughs> and it's funny because fortunately the playlist gets talked about more than anything. If you look through any of our reviews and comments online and it is like the giant invisible elephant in the room essentially, right? It sits in the corner, but it, it becomes more or less of what you love about the concept. So for us, it's been, a, it's been a great addition to, to everything. And then also the decor, we wanted the decor to be something that was uh, an upscale modern feel, mm -hmm. uh, but still with some classic rustic touches. And that's what we did. So all of that went in, it was a detailed plan from 2017 through 2018. And then we ended up getting open and it's worked out. So we changed everything in the concept. That was a long yeah. answer. We, we yeah. changed it all for the most part. Are you from the Columbus area or did you relocate here? Yeah, I'm from here. I grew up okay. in Westerville. That's okay. where I was born and raised, and uh, now I live in New Orleans. So oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm here and don't intend to go anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> um, it, it was, it, was there any attempt to, to you know, try to do business uh, elsewhere, or was there something that brought you back to your hometown here? I've always been here. I, as soon mm -hmm. as I was done with college, I came back. And I have a huge family. So for us, family is everything. And we mm -hmm. want to be always, we're, we do everything together. Again, that's what comes from the inspiration to the restaurant. I mean, we'll go to a restaurant and have 25 people on a regular Wednesday. You know what yeah. I mean? So for us, we wanted to make sure that we were doing everything in our power uh, to stay together. So I came back mm -hmm. home and I haven't left. So no, um, we do have businesses other other places. We had three Popeyes in Michigan that mm -hmm. we ended up selling. But again, we, you know, now are not unafraid to put businesses at any, any point in, uh, in, the, in the country. It just has to be right. The deal has to be right. You know, yeah. we, we've got some, um, some stuff under development in West Memphis, Arkansas mm -hmm. right now, which is on that border of, of actual Memphis, about 15 minutes away. And then Warren and I are working on some development uh, things down in Florida to hope, hopefully take our concept down to Fort Lauderdale, where he has a second home and is, uh, got some restaurants down there now too. So we vacation down there quite a bit um, mm -hmm. as couples. So it's been something that we talked about and he's been vacationing there since before I was alive. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for him, it's, it's been a second home for a very long yes. time. And now he's starting to grow his market of restaurants there. He's got Yacht uh, Bar and Grill, which is a phenomenal restaurant at Lauderdale mm -hmm. Marine Center, sister unit of, of Thompson, and, uh, or it's a Thompson Hospitality Unit, a sister unit of Jordan Hospitality Group. Mm -hmm. And then we've also got mm -hmm a couple other uh, of matchboxes under development. He's got one in Sawgrass Mills that's been open for a while. He's got one in Las Olas that's uh, getting open soon. And then also Big Buns too, that's opening. Um, so his, his own internal burger concept that he's developed. So quite a bit of stuff on the horizon, but yes, we are going to be other places very soon. When you were striking out on your own, um, what kind of challenges did you face um, yeah. in, in terms of getting your business off the ground? Man. I don't know if we had that much time. <laughs> the, the, the biggest, the biggest challenge, I'll be honest with you, has always been access to capital. Yep. You know, and whether we want to talk about this part of the conversation or not, you know, the difficulty in being a minority-owned business is always finding access to capital. Yeah. Um, you know, I can tell you from, from different boards I've sat on and different panels I've spoken on, the conversation from a lot of uh, different entrepreneurs is always how we got our start, and unfortunately. You know, a lot of minorities, especially African-American business owners, don't come from, you know, any types of money or capital and, and, and right. don't know how to access it. 
due to the, the limited resources that are, that are given to certain subsets of groups in certain areas. So I think, you know, for me, obviously I've grown up in an area that was not predominantly a minority, but I, I've also come from banking and other places. So I've, I've been able to really learn some of the tricks of the trade and figuring out how to do what it takes to, to be bankable. But it's still been very difficult even then. And we're trying to figure that part out even, even still today. I mean, we've been able to figure it out over time, but it is absolutely something that is the biggest challenge in, in starting your restaurant is, is being bankable and figuring mm -hmm. out ways to, to go and procure capital and investors. So, you know, that's, that's always a challenge, right? It's like, how can we go and find the right types of investors? I know restaurateurs today who are even younger than I am, who can go out and find five investors and make $50 million you know, overnight, you know, and, and get the seed money that's, that's necessary. That's not something that I've, I've ever understood or been introduced to truly. So it's, it's been something that is, uh, you know, uh, difficult to navigate, but yeah. one that we can't not figure out. Does that make sense? And, you know, in, in your case, you know, you come from a, a family that has had success in the industry and has a track record and you're working with uh, Mr. Thompson, who's someone who has a track record right. and you still had issues. You know, which which is like that's they got to be maddening. You know, it's like it is, not, it is, it is maddening. You know, it is. Yeah. I mean, the story for the first Popeyes expansion we did. I mean, we owned our Popeyes 100% debt free for yeah. 18 years, no debt, yeah. nothing. Um, you know, great cash flows. 22% is where we were. Uh, net net was close to 14%. Yeah. Phenomenal numbers, right? We're the number one unit in the Buckeye Valley region. Mm -hmm. The difficult thing was again. We would go to places, you know, like Chase, for instance, and mm -hmm. I've got some really good friends on the board at Chase and very high up um, that are, you know, have introduced this new program called Advancing Black Pathways that mm -hmm. I don't think has done much for minority groups. Unfortunately, even though it was the mainstay of the, of the product, when you own your business 100% and you've got no debt and you've got tons of cash in the bank, you should be able to find money. Yeah. And it, it was tough, man. It was very tough. We had to end up going outside of our banking relationship to go get a loan. Yeah. And that stuff, it really, really did. But, you know, hey, you know, I always look at it. If it was easy, everybody would do it. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's not. So just got to keep pushing through. How were, how were you able to solve that issue for, for Hen Quarter? Was it just bearing down and just trying to find the right willing partner or, or was yeah. there more to it? Yeah. It, was, it, was, it, was out, it was putting ourselves out there a lot, trying yeah. to find the right willing partner that would uh, be accepting of what our model was mm -hmm. and understanding that we were a startup business that was a little bit new. Mm -hmm. um, and we did, we found a great partner in uh, 44 Business Capital in Berkshire mm -hmm. Bank. Jason Zemke was our, our lender at that time and he did a phenomenal job for us in getting everything set up and kind of been rolling ever since then. So, you know, now we've created some other banking relationships at some smaller community banks, which have actually been better. Uh, the, I think the issue also too was I, was, I was a big bank guy, you know, so the Chases, the Bank of Americas of the world, Wells Fargo's, those are the ones we were really looking toward. Mm -hmm. and, and those were the ones that, that weren't, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, lending as, as much as the other ones were. So that was uh, a lesson we learned the hard way. And now we've figured out how to, how to navigate it a little better. I wanted to switch gears to something we uh, talked about last week for the story that was in this week's paper, which is um, you said that you think you, you your business has seen a benefit from uh, Black Lives Matter, from a, yeah. from a renewed, um, or not renewed, that's certainly, I don't think the right term, but a refocus. but certainly a, a push, <laughs> yeah, a, a, re, a, a refocus towards um, community supporting uh, Black-owned businesses. So, t so tell me a little bit about what you've seen and I guess where we go from here. Is that 
something that is sustainable or, or do you think it's just a blip as so many issues have been as we know? You know, you know, that's a great question, a loaded question. I will definitely tell you the support we get from the African American community yeah. is is immense. And we are eternally grateful for all mm-hmm. the support that we get. There's been a ton of groups that have reached out to us. Columbus Black Owned Business, there is a, a group that support Columbus Black Owned Business Group um, that has been incre- incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. I know one of the moderators of that group is um, Chandrita Boykins, who is a, um, a manager at, at Chase and does a phenomenal job advocating for the African-American community. I mean, couldn't thank her enough. Uh, she was also one of, my, one of my managers when I was yeah. uh, at Chase. So phenomenal person to get to know. But she, um, she and many others do a great job of building that support and educating, you know, I think the community on what our dollar means, right? Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. It could become a blip if people let it become a blip, right? Mm-hmm. If people take the opportunity to know that the amount of, of economic strength that African-Americans or you know, other folks that are non-Caucasian have in terms of their dollar and what it means to, to the true business model of everything that goes into what you do every day, if they truly understood all of us together what that means and we banded together and, and made this a mainstay, it could be a, a definitely a long-lasting impact sort yeah. of thing. I do think that some of it, unfortunately, is going to become a blip because we're in a hypersensitive media environment today mm-hmm. where everybody's got a phone and everybody thinks that they're a reporter to a degree. So everybody's putting something on social media at all times. And, you know, the only, the only worse thing than, than part of that, you know, whole new world is that, you know, this, the news cycle went from, you know, the standard amount of days it was before to now five minutes, you know? So the next thing could be, the next story could be this, the next story could be that. We just don't know. Yeah. So, you know, I I, I do think though, the difference with us is that we are more or less a unicorn. There's us and there's there's Walter that really give you a certain level of dining over at the Royce, Mm -hmm. that really give a certain level of dining that is able to be the option for folks that want to support black owned business, Mm -hmm. you know? So, for, for, for our counterparts that are in quick service uh, businesses or in you know, casual service mm-hmm. businesses, they get great support too, don't get me wrong. But if you wanna go out to a nice dinner and, and sit down and have some cocktails and things like that, there's just not a lot of options. So that's worked out in our favor. And I think that's what, what'll keep our business model building on this uh, trend a little bit more and, and give us a little bit more of that longevity than most. But again, it could go either way. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, my, my thought is if we really are smart about this and understand how far our dollar goes, then now while everybody's listening and paying attention, we can really make some waves. We just got to be smart and we got to be consistent. If we're smart and we're consistent, things will work out the way they're supposed to, I think, you know? Ron, that, we're getting at the end of my questions here. Is there sure. anything you can think of that I haven't asked you about? The one thing I'll say is that we want to make sure that people know and understand that the restaurant business is tough. We do our best every single day when we get up and we try to deliver the best uh, food and best service that we possibly can. You know, so I'm hoping that folks also understand that running a business isn't, per- isn't a perfect practice. Yeah. You know, and that, that sometimes we're gonna get it wrong. And our job is to just do what we can to make that opportunity right. So I'm hoping, again, in this environment of overexposure to the world based on how we can cover it now, that a lot of our guests are understanding of, of, of the challenges that restaurants, restaurant owners face. I mean, we were closed for multiple months. So the fact yeah. that we're even open again and able to operate is an absolute blessing. So for me, if you are, if you are a, a patron or a diner and you come in, 
be patient with that group, give critical feedback, but at the same time, just be one that, that, that understands that we're all human and we are going to make mistakes, but we're going to do everything we can to make your experience the absolute best possible. So, I mean, that's it, man. Uh, you have a good weekend. Uh, hope, uh, hope business stays strong and I'm sure we'll be chatting again in the future. All right, man. Thanks again. I all appreciate right. it. You have a good one. Right.